Welcome to Simply Why, a podcast about money and purpose, where we pull back the curtain on running a financial advisory business focused on providing intentional advice to couples and families. I'm Dennis Morton. And I'm Katie Brown. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, and welcome back to the Simply Why podcast, a podcast about money and purpose. I'm Dennis Morton, here with my partner, Katie Brown. Katie, how are you doing today? Hi, Dennis. I'm doing very well. How are you? Good, good. We had a, a normal week in the office this week. We're back from the Schwab Impact Conference, which was last week. We love going to this for three days. Uh, this year was in Philly. What was your favorite part of this year? Um, my favorite part of the, the Schwab Conference is always reconnecting with other advisors across the country, reconnecting with our team at Schwab, learning new technologies, platforms that are out there, and just spending spending personal time with co-workers. So you and I were there with Cody and John. We got to spend a lot of great time together outside of our daily business lives. So it was just really, really nice. And thank you for not mentioning the low point of the trip for me, which was uh, when we went to the, the, they have all these different events each night and we did one at a, at a ping pong bar. And um, I lost at ping pong, Jenga and Connect Four that night. I don't know if I've put together a losing streak like that since like middle school. So it was... <laughs> It was it was brutal. Katie torched me in ping pong. Uh, I need I needed to train. I'm coming back next year better. I didn't even realize that there was a ping pong bar like such a thing. I loved it. I'm going to bring my family down there. It's going to be fun. Although, take if you're taking your family to a ping pong bar. That's, <laughs> I was just going to say they may not let my kids in, <laughs> so maybe not save that's, that one for a bit. <laughs> that's, 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 let's make that a, do something in the 2030s, not in the 2020s when the kids are still young. Yeah, I, Good point. I, I, I see where you're going now. It's, it's just, spirit's in the right place. <laughs> All right. So actually, we tried recording this the other day, but I think we came at it from the wrong angle. We were talking about how people relate to their advisors, maybe having multiple advisors, but still being that necessary cog. And we've kind of turned this on its head to say it's really about control and this idea of control relative to our finances. Katie, where do we start on, on this one? How does it show up? issues of control around people and their money? I think this is a really wide ranging topic. We see it show up in a number of different ways. We see it show up in the daily conversations that we have. Oftentimes it shows up from a place of frustration. Maybe there are things going on in the markets or in the world and clients will call us and they'll say, what can we do? Why aren't things going the way we expect them to go? There's challenging things happening in the world around us. How do we navigate through this? Or it's not going to get better. Or, you know, it shows up in so many different ways and in, in, in different personalities. That's just kind of one example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And some investors might be reluctant to maybe come in and work with an advisor or change advisors because it's removing some element of at least perceived control over circumstances that at least if I have it where, where I can touch it, where I can see it, where it's my decisions, that they're not giving something up. And there's, there's a real sense of identity in that, but it can be challenging. I, I always have this analogy, whenever it comes down to control and comfort levels, I have my jet ski story. Have I told you this one before? I do not think I know the jet ski story. Okay. Okay. So, so Gina and I, this is back in dating days out in New Mexico. We went out to um, Elephant Butte Lake. And we rented a jet ski and we're still getting to know each other, you know, not married yet. And we rent the jet ski and I hop on first and she's riding on the back and we take off out on the lake. 
And immediately she's like, no, 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 too fast, too fast, slow down, slow down. We're too sharp a turns. I was riding this thing like it was just a bad, really slow ride, not very fun at all. I said, all right, you drive now. So I got off. She jumps in the front. I get in the back and she takes off like a bat out of hell. It just like blazes <laughs> down the lake. We're, we're doing, you know, 90 degree turns and just peeling out and everything. What is this? She says, well, I'm in control now. I'm okay with it because I have the, the handlebars. That makes all the sense in the world. It really does. I'm going to save it for another series of podcasts that we do on how that's shown up the rest of our marriage. I don't think Gina, I don't think Gina listens to this anymore. So I think we can talk about this freely. But, <laughs> but, but seriously, the things, when we have our mitts on things, we're willing to do and tolerate a lot more things that we might not tolerate if someone else had their hands on it. And You're right. You're right. It That is the case. But the challenge with that is that that will often show up in some sort of stress for the client as well, mm-hmm. or in the family. As you said, when you guys traded places on the jet ski, that became more stressful for you. She felt better, but it was more stressful for you. And I bet it was vice versa the other way. Yes. Once we kind of get to that comfort level of some families handing over some control of their finances, I think that actually reduces some stress sometimes when they have a third party that they can both then turn to, they can both find that common ground and figure out how that control gets divided. But it is interesting how that perceived control can link up with stress. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think we we see that sometimes in plans. Um, We see that sometimes, oh, here's a great example, Dennis. How about when clients work with multiple advisors? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Because they still are the control person. Right. All information has to be routed through them. No one knows the full picture. I'm I'm the indispensable person sitting there in the middle. Mm -hmm. Uh Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And how much they're willing to tolerate that stress, willing to put up with that for how long just in the interest of not letting any one person or, or group kind of see the full thing. Yeah. It's a strain. It, it really, it really is. And do you think it's, a, can it be successful? Can somebody have multiple advisory relationships and make it work? I think you can have multiple advisory relationships and make it work. If there is a specialty of the individual sitting at the table and there's collaboration of the advisor sitting at the table. I think if there's not a very specific purpose for everybody at the table and there's not that communication for people to individually bring their expertise forward, then the client or the individual is stuck in the middle saying, well, I have an opinion over here and I have an opinion over here. They're trying to guide me on the same thing. Now I have to decide which way to go. And it's okay to have different perspectives, but I think there needs to be lines of of the specialty that's being provided, the expertise that's being provided. Mm-hmm. I think that's when multiple advisors work well. Mm-hmm. Let's take this a different direction. It's something that you and I talked about the other day. The things in money that we can control and the things that we can't. We're, we're, we're recording this at a time when there's been a lot of market volatility, not just this year, but over the last several years. And you articulated something to me the other day about how in planning, there are a lot more variables that we can think through and control some of the decisions that are in a plan, but the markets don't always behave that way. The markets can be very out of control, seemingly. How, do, how does that show up for you? I think um, 
at the core, I enjoy planning. I like to plan. I like to stretch things out. I think I can be patient to a degree as many of our clients, I'm going to say are, are probably similar, but at some point I like to see things starting to click. I like to see things moving in the same, you know, according to the plan. And if we need to adjust the plan, we can adjust the plan. But, but I, I, I love that thought process of these are the things that we can control over here. But I also recognize there are outside forces. And sometimes that just gets exhausting. It gets exhausting when you're putting the hard work in, you're putting the work into the plan, you're putting the work into the investment strategy that goes along with it. And you're building in proper approaches to investing. We talk a lot about diversification, low costs. We talk a lot about understanding your risk. But in the short term, and I'm going to say short term can be multiple years. True. In the short term, things don't always go according to that proper investor behavior and that proper investor structure. And that can get exhausting over time. And that's for me, that's where some of my frustration comes in is that I think we're controlling the things that we can control, but the, the markets are irrational at times. And, and we know that, and they can be, they can be irrational longer than we can be rational. Um, I think that's one of the, the sayings I'm trying to remember who said that, but, but it's the truth. And so to stick to a plan, to stick to investing, you know, it's the right thing to do, but it can get exhausting. Yes. Yes. And, and the next level of that is when sometimes an investor might seek to grab control back mm -hmm. that you see stocks doing stock like things and they pull back an average of double digits in the course of a given year and you bail on your strategy and try and grab back control and and that's tempting now because you have things like money markets that are paying higher rates than we've seen in a long time or cds and things like that and what does the seeking of control take away does it hurt our long-term plan does it cause damage that we can't necessarily predict and, and just seeking out guarantees too. Mm -hmm. That's another thing in investing is that can I get just a sure thing because then it's in my control and I understand it, but the reward for volatility is higher long-term returns, which we all need some portion of in, inside the plan. Our plans presume that that's the case. And bringing it back to this, this would be my last reference back to a jet ski analogy, but back to the way I look at it and the way maybe you and I are a little bit different in this regard when it comes to the planning and investing is that when I look out five, 10, 20 years, I think of control being something where I can control my decisions, that there's things I know that stocks are going to do this and bonds are going to do that in the short term. There's going to be volatility, but we always have some sort of a I haven't locked myself into one outcome. There's always an off-ramp or something that we can make a different decision because we haven't done things in the financial plan that lock us in to this particular strategy. And that to me is a relief. Like when I'm riding on the back of that jet ski, I'm like, fine, Gina can go ahead and do this. I know there's only so much damage we can do out here on, on this short horsepower machine. I kind of know, know the limitations, which is why I'm not a big risk taker. I just like knowing the parameters and working within those parameters. It's, it's a comfortable place. And that is something that we do talk about with clients, knowing where their levers are to control if they need to, mm -hmm. if they need to change something. But I think something that's also worth recognizing, you know, when things feel out of control, then anxiety starts to set in. And sometimes that feeling is I have to do something when if you can shift your mindset and, and think for a minute about 
what are the purposeful, intentional things to do and acknowledge maybe the best thing for me to do is nothing at all. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that ability to be patient and sit back comes from, it stems from how much work you put up front to really know, like you said, where your parameters are, to really know where those off ramps are, to really know if I had to, I can do ABC in the future, but I don't need to do that now. This immediate window threat, whatever the case may be right in front of me right now, is not going to be the thing that's going to derail my whole financial future. So I can be patient now and know that there are things that I can do down the road later if I need to. It always comes back to communication. It always comes back to the plan. It always comes back to, have you put the work in to building the relationship with your advisor, with your spouse over, over your finances? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. We're coming up on a, on a year end now. I think that would be a good conversation starter for couples thinking, right, what's our plan for 2024? What are the kinds of things that we're going to do? What are the things that we can control? Things like our spending, things like our financial priorities. Like if something's not a, not a high priority for you, then you shouldn't lose sleep over it and, and let it, you know, let the volatility be what it is. Um, but I think that would be a, a good conversation starter for a couple to sit down and say, do you feel like things are, are out of control in any aspect of our financial lives? Do you feel like there's ways that we can influence that in a positive way? And then what baby steps can we take in the course of 2024 to exert the right level of control over our finances? Yes. And to spend the time, like I said, just to spend the time knowing what your plan is and spend the time knowing, you know what, worst case scenario, here are the things that we would do and we would still be okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And making sure that you're on the same page with that. What are the things that you're willing to adjust down the road if you needed to? Right, right. I love the idea of, I think we hopefully do a good job of this when we're doing an initial financial plan is really stress testing things and saying, this is not, we're not pricing things to perfection. There, there are bad things that are going to happen. And it's, it can be a little bit, maybe I gloss over it sometimes. So maybe we assume in a financial plan that there's X percent returns per year. Well, there's never X percent returns per year. You're going to get two X sometimes, you get half of X another, or maybe negative some years. But telegraphing that out in advance, in fact, I'm already thinking about a financial date night idea. Oh, a new one? Cool. Yeah, well, um, I don't have many. So it's like a new one, that look on your face, the new one is a really big, big deal. But maybe talking about risk in control maybe bringing that up, like going out to dinner with Gina and talking we, next year, we make our first college tuition payment. That is something that we know is coming down the pipe. Massive so, milestone. Massive milestone. <laughs> so, um, but th talking about things like what are some risks out there? What are some things that are going to be unique or different? And how do we mitigate the, the surprise elements, like getting on a jet ski and realizing I didn't think this thing could go that fast and turn that sharp. You know, th things can go fast and turn sharp sometimes. So let's make sure we've talked about that well enough in advance and kind of prepping the experience uh, a little bit, not just where we're going to save and spend, but what are the things that could be choppy for us uniquely? Yeah. And maybe start to put yourself in that place if you can. Take it a step further and say, what is that going to feel like? How, how would we react to that? Are there any initial adjustments that we would make? Or do we know that we can let that ride for a while until we make an adjustment? But like, start to think through sort of the feelings of, of those choppy periods. And you know what I'm, I'm kind of interested to see? Huh. I'm still a ways off from retirement, but this will be the first thing that we've saved for and really spent down. 
Ah. You know, it's been easy enough to have the discipline for 401k, you have college savings, just kind of popping some money in on a regular basis over time. But now to turn the switch and spend down, I'll be interested to see how that feels. Maybe it'll feel like nothing at all. Maybe it'll be a stress point. Maybe Gina and I will feel that differently. So I'll be curious about that. Maybe maybe a topic of conversation this time next year. (laughs) And, And please share. I think this could probably be its own podcast as well, because that is a conversation that we do have with clients and how challenging. I had that conversation yesterday, actually, with a client. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know what, I'm planning on retiring next May. And I'm, I'm really rethinking how I should be investing cash right now, how I should be doing things because I need to start spending money. And I don't know if I can spend money. And I need to feel like I have it all right there in order to do that. And it is a very different mindset when you are used to working, saving your entire life, and now you're going to turn around and spend it. And and you're right, even in the case of education, that's an account that you've purposely grown and now to watch it dwindle and eventually go away, it's different. So please share. Will do. So if if you have any areas where the desire for control or the, the, the anxiety of the markets makes you want to be more in control of your finances, reach out to us. Let us know what you're thinking. Your feedback is always very helpful. And uh, Katie, until next time, have a great weekend. Hey, thanks. You too. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Simply Why, a podcast about money and purpose. We hope you enjoyed getting to know us, how we approach leading a financial advisory practice, and the work we do every day to help families and couples make important financial decisions. Morton Brown Family Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This podcast is designed for educational and informational purposes and not intended as investment advice. More information can be found at www.mortonbrownfw.com.